0: Hello and welcome to Publishers Weekly Insider. I'm Mark Rotello, Senior Editor at Publishers Weekly. Today we will acknowledge libraries and librarians and everything they do for us, the country, our communities. And to talk with us about the top 10 library stories of the year is our very own Andrew Albanese, our Senior Writer. Hello, Andrew. Hey there, Mark. So... These are some of the biggest stories of how libraries have affected others or been affected. And maybe we should start with probably the biggest name in libraries, um, President Trump. <laughs> yeah. It always seems to start with yes, Trump. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> A
1: sign of the times we live in. Yeah. You know, uh, broadly speaking i'll say that the library stories are not just library stories like really they're very indicative of what's going on in our culture at large and to me they're always the greatest measure of what's going on in the publishing industry because the library community stories always are really reflective of what's going on in publishing and i think it's fair to say that trump's had a fairly large impact on the publishing industry this year right but in terms of libraries the trump administration well it's just a barrel of laughs you know you've got daily challenges on the legislative front we lost net neutrality This year, for example, we face pressure on the free press every day and free speech, which librarians, of course, are huge defenders of. But the big issue that librarians have faced for the last two years, especially, has been regarding the budget, the federal budget, because the Trump administration now for two years in a row has proposed the complete elimination of all federal library funding in its budget request that comes out. Usually they publish it every February. So we've got another one to look forward to this year. The Trump administration has called for the elimination of the Institute for Museum and Library Services, Mm. which is the mechanism through which all federal library funding is given to the states, as well as the NEA and the NEH and a host of other organizations that support or other uh, agencies, I should say, that support library funding. Now, the good news here is that librarians are very active on Capitol Hill and they've got some game and they've been able to turn back through the lawmakers, through the legislative process, they've been able to turn back the, the Trump administration's attempts to, to zero them out. And this year, in fact, they're actually poised to get a little bump hmm. uh, if the budget goes through. So and how is that? Because legislators know. Legislators yeah. see the library funding makes a difference in communities, right? It right. goes it's probably the best money we spend in the federal budget because it's one hundred percent effective, right. has a great return on investment, and every local politician sees the effect of that funding. So very few are with the president that it's something that should be eliminated. It's it's you know it requires year round advocacy for librarians to make the point to their local mm-hmm. legislators, but their local legislators get it when they hear from librarians. But you know, the problem is now is Look, we've got huge – 2019 is probably going to be okay for libraries. But after that, it gets dicey because the president, of course, has passed a huge corporate tax cut, and that's less money. We now have a deficit that's going to top a trillion dollars next year. And the worry among librarians is in the coming years that those ballooning deficits are going to be a pretext for making deep cuts across the board. So while in the short term, librarians are feeling pretty good about turning back – trump administration's requests to to get rid of them uh in the future they're not so sure where that's all going
0: right and just moving on a little bit so so we're just talking about how librarians we've got uh on capitol hill we got trump and we also have a little bit of the me too movement as evidenced in or affected by libraries so talk a little bit about that yeah the 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 library community sort of bumped up against the me too movement this year with sherman Mm alexi
1: uh our readers may recall that in Early this year, uh, some anonymous comments surf- surfaced that implicated Alexi in some pretty bad behavior, some sexual misconduct. Now, prior to those allegations being known, the ALA had actually selected Alexi as the winner of the 2018 Andrew Carnegie Medal for Excellence in Nonfiction. Mm-hmm. And he would have received his award at a uh, banquet, at a reception at the ALA annual meeting in New Orleans this year. And then... We got a, like a rather vague apology from Alexei a few weeks after the allegations surfaced, and through his agent, he declined the award. Now, that took some pressure off ALA, because they didn't have to worry about whether or not they were going to be, invite him to speak. Right. And Alexei's a very popular figure in the library community, and I should point out that some of his accusers are in the library community. So mm-hmm. it, was, wow. it, was wow. going, it was setting up to be a pretty dicey issue for right. ALA to deal with the, if the fact that they chose Alexei as, as the award winner this year, right. even though they made this election prior to knowing anything about these misconduct allegations. So what the ALA did was they grabbed with two hands onto Sherman Alexei declining the award. They decided, hey, we're just not going to give the award this year. End oh, of story. Right. Problem solved. But is it? Right. <laughs> I seem to have a little bit of right. a problem with how this was handled because he did win the award. Bottom line is there's a press release that's still out there declaring Sherman Alexie the winner. Just because he declined it and didn't come, the ALA never rescinded the award. And to me, it raises a conversation that we really need to have in the Me Too era, which is how do we handle it when these great authors and writers and artists, these people who are towering figures in the culture, stand accused of bad behavior? How do we handle that? And the ALA, you can forgive them for wanting to duck a punch once in a while on this, mm-hmm. But I feel like they ducked a conversation that they were ideally suited to lead. Because really, who better to have that conversation than the nation's librarians?
0: Yeah, exactly. And I know you've been pressing for uh, information and for reasons, but none has been forthcoming.
1: Yeah, it's been a little awkward (laughs) at times
0: trying to... I feel like ALA feels like or
1: the committee that gave the award feels like it's no longer their problem because Alexi declined the award. But to me, that just feels... to, To not note why the award was declined, why the award was not given, feels unfair to all of the great writers in 2018 who were shortlisted for the award, and it also feels unfair to the librarians who put all that time and effort into selecting this award winner, and it just feels willfully blind of this major, powerful cultural movement we're
0: living through. Yeah, exactly. Now, moving on, um, ebooks. books uh, We talk about ebooks from time to time. They come up in libraries. And this one is a big story with Tor.
1: Indeed. So this year, uh, in July of this year, Tor, which is the Macmillan imprint, they announced out of the blue and without warning to librarians that they were going to embargo new ebook titles for libraries. So, in other words, libraries would have to wait four months to get right. new ebook titles. And they cited a direct impact on retail ebook sales. Now, librarians dispute this. They say that there's so few Tor ebooks out there in libraries that couldn't possibly be affecting this. What it really shows is that after about three or four years, it's been since about two thousand fourteen where all of the major publishers have allowed libraries to license ebooks and lend them the we're starting to see some backsliding on
0: that. right? And we should also note that TOR's parent publisher is Macmillan. Now, has Macmillan held back any other titles, or was it just TOR? So far, it's just TOR, and
1: what's become clear, Macmillan has not communicated with the library community at all, really, about the change. They didn't they didn't communicate with them before the change. Even though just weeks before this was announced, there was a major digital content and ebook summit at ALA, which Macmillan officials were invited to, but right. declined to attend. In fact, only one of the major publishers that was skipped Dive of Random House, Penguin Random House, actually went to this summit. I think what we're seeing is, I don't think there's a negative impact. There's no negative impact really from library ebook lending. But I think with the retail ebook market showing signs of contraction, mm-hmm. the publishers are looking for ways to squeeze every nickel they can out of their digital sales. And with libraries, they can set whatever price they want, they can set whatever terms they want. It's not like the retail market where you have to negotiate with Amazon to carry this. Like an ebook for a library can cost you upwards of $60, and it only gets lent 24 times. Really? And if they can push that price up or they can restrict the lending of it and push some of those would be lends right. into ebook sales. You know makes a little more money for the publisher, so I think you're going to see in two thousand and nineteen a number of other publishers start to experiment right. with pulling back from the library ebook market. Mm-hmm. Librarians, after winning basic access, kind of stopped pushing. They took their foot off the gas you know they had a they had a, a committee called the Digital Content Working Group that had been working with publishers and opened a line of communication with publishing executives. And that sunsetted after its charter ran out in six years, after six years in 2017, I believe that was. And they haven't really replaced it. So I think that the publishers thought, hey, we've given you access. There's not much more we're going to do. And librarians have been talking about how to make ebook lending better, but no one really to talk about it with at the publishing houses. Right. And so now we're at a fairly predictable place where publishers are going to start. Pulling back a little and to find out where that line is, how much they, how much
0: revenue they can really squeeze in the library ebook market, Wow, I think one of the stories that I was just struck by was this one uh, I should say it 's an op ed piece in Forbes, where the writer uh, argued that uh, Amazon should replace libraries i mean obviously wrong headed but <laughs> there it was out there in the public. That was a glorious little time this summer, wasn't it? <laughs> it, right? was, it was really something.
1: I mean this was such a what strikes me about that story is that Forbes retracted the piece. Right. Right? It was published over the weekend and it got massive traffic. I think it had over two hundred thousand like, you know, views by Saturday. It was published I think on a Thursday. And then the Forbes editors, I think sensing it was a bit of a PR nightmare for them, pulled it back. They said that the the writer who was a a Long Island University economist named Panos Mordokutis, that he was out of his lane in writing about libraries. He wasn't. In fact, any librarian worth, worth his or her salt will tell you that... The piece shouldn't have been retracted because we had this massive response going on to the piece, and Uh, then you went to the piece and you got a 404 error, and that just chilled librarians. The point that Mortacutus was making is a pretty common point. There are a lot of people who don't want to pay taxes and don't use the library and don't see the library as, you know, particularly valuable to them. And as an economist, I don't think he was out of his lane. He was talking about tax policy. He's also a taxpayer. So he's in his lane there. And, you know, frankly, I looked at the guy's background. And he writes about the Philippines. He writes about Bitcoin. You know, these things are out of his lane, <laughs> to right. be perfectly honest. But they haven't been retracted. Yeah. And there were other, there have been other articles like this on Forbes in the past where they, they've called for the, you know, using Amazon instead of library services. Uh, that Amazon was a better service. But the upshot of the story was that for about a week, two weeks, and in fact, a month after that, the internet was absolutely buzzing with library supporters, right? Mm -hmm. You had editorials and newspapers all across the country. It made the national news. People were just fighting back at this guy. And they were like, you know, it's wrongheaded. You just saw the swell of support from library supporters, and I have to say it was absolutely glorious.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and it is too bad, as you had said, that they retracted it because that was a forum to talk about. That will come out again and again Uh, when it comes time next year for for budget cuts or or perhaps potential budget cuts, I should say, in two years, you had said, you know, like this is an argument, and and there were some good really – great reasoned responses to that. And of course, many other people screenshotted the editorial, so it's still out there.
1: Just Forbes isn't getting the traffic anymore. (laughs) You know, other publications are not getting the traffic for it. I think the ideal result of this would have been for librarians to personally have engaged and reached out to Mr. Murakudis and changed his mind. Like, Brought him into the library and showed him the value that the library brings to a community and how every one of those tax dollars he objects to spending actually was better spent on a library than it was on a Kindle.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, so we've hit about four of your of, of your top ten. Are there any others you want to just touch on, or you want to uh, highlight? You know, I, I think we touched on some of the bigger ones. There was a,
1: a, a fairly the ALA annual meeting in, in New Orleans this year generated a lot of headlines. Uh, one very good headline was that it was headlined by Michelle Obama. Right. It was her first book talk. Prior to her uh, memoir becoming, which it, in two weeks, its first two weeks on publication became the best-selling title of the year. Now, the talk was okay. I was there. I saw it. You know, it was it was really the librarians in the room were really excited. They started lining up at about eight in the morning to get a good spot in the auditorium to see her. She taught. She spoke with uh, her longtime friend, Librarian of Congress uh, Carla Hayden. She didn't really talk much about the book because the book was still not out. This talk was in June and uh, the book didn't come out till November. She didn't talk about politics, even though at the time Mm -hmm. the Trump administration was separating children from their parents at the border. It was sort of a major issue. None of that came up. None of that usually comes up from the stage at ALA. The politics usually stays off of it. But I think the point that's worth noting with Michelle Obama being there is that Random House Penguin Random House, her publisher, could have selected any number of places for her to give her first talk about her book, and they chose libraries. Right. It could have been Book Expo America. It could have been any number of right. places, and now she's out on a stadium tour. But you know, wow. they made a conscious choice that you know the library community was really the right place to launch this. And I think that speaks to the common mission and sort of the common fate of libraries and publishers. So there's right. we see tension sometimes between libraries and publishers, but this I think is a good indicator. Of how close they really are, how 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 intertwined the fate of libraries and publishing really yeah. is, and the other thing that happened at this meeting that was interesting was that the ALA updated its rules for who can use the meeting rooms. So the ALA Council, you know, it's, it's I forget how many of them there are, but basically they included new language to say that hate groups have the same right to use the library meeting rooms if the library provides meeting space as any other group in the community right. so if you're going to let a sports team or you know a knitting club use a meeting room to discuss their activities then you got to let the hate groups do it as well
0: really and the, these meeting rooms in libraries throughout the the country or throughout the country yeah. yeah it was it was it's the ala's sort of advice to
1: libraries who you know are offering these services to their patrons and You know, their point is well taken that libraries are bound by the First Amendment. If they're going to allow the public to use their facilities, they can't exclude people based on what those people are saying or thinking. Basically, the ALA official, Jamie LaRue, who's the director of the Office of Intellectual Freedom at ALA, his point was that we're trying to keep librarians out of court here. You know, we're not trying to give rights to hate groups, but this is the way it is. Librarians were not having it. It just, you know, that went over like a lead balloon, and you know, four weeks later, it was rescinded by a hundred and forty to four vote of the ALA Council, and there was one particular librarian in Baltimore County named Tyler Vashon who launched this Twitter screed that was just absolutely great, and his main takeaway and i'll paraphrase him here was that we are way beyond the point where we can have like sort of a theoretical conversation about whether or not the clan can use our meeting rooms mm. you know we are at a point where we're facing a real threat in our communities and if librarians aren't going to stand up to it then they're part of the problem and that carried the day ultimately
0: by a fairly large margin wow well andrew thank you so much for joining us my pleasure we've been talking about libraries with andrew albanese our senior writer i'm mark rotella senior editor at publishers weekly thank you so much for listening please be sure to subscribe to pw insider on itunes and we'll see you next week